Greetings, everyone. I'm so glad you're here today joining me on Satiate, the Boulder Nutrition Podcast. I'm Sue Van Rays, your host, functional nutritionist, food psychology specialist, and founder of Boulder Nutrition. I also lead women's wellness and yoga retreats, both locally and internationally. You can find out more about me at bouldernutrition.com. My inspiration with Satiate is to offer you functional nutrition, food psychology, and well being insights, to share with you case studies and stories that can act as salve for your soul, to share with you some of my most favorite special guests and experts from all over the country and to offer you an opportunity to satiate your body, mind, heart, and soul. If you love this podcast, I would be so grateful to have you head over to iTunes, subscribe, and leave a review. That will help me get the podcast out into the world to the listeners who need it most. Welcome to today's episode. I'm excited to be sharing today's episode with you solo because I've been working on an exciting project and I thought it would be fun to hop on and share with you some of the insights and affirmations that I've gone through over the past couple of weeks. As many of you know, I've been working with Levels Health and a continual glucose monitor for the first part of June, two weeks of June, and I have two more weeks left, so I'm at my halfway mark, and I have just been blown away by some of the insights and some of the affirmations that I've had in what I've been teaching and living for so many years. So I thought it would be perfect timing to share it with you because as many of you know, if you've been a Boulder Nutrition reader or a Satiate listener for a while, Our metabolic health via our blood sugar is probably my biggest focus and my most close to my heart passion when it comes to healing our bodies, living with vitality and wellness and energy, um, combating and curbing our cravings, diminishing inflammation, decreasing brain fog, balancing our hormones, and the list goes on and on and on. Our metabolic health and our blood sugar are are the foundation, the very foundation of our health. And when we have it working with us and for us, we feel our best. Now, there are so many different kinds of unique metabolic profiles within each of us. And that's also been a big focus in my work is to help my clients, help my students, to reveal what their metabolic profile needs and how to then meet those needs with our everyday lifestyle and food habits. And it is revolutionary when we start to really feel the shift. And I know for me, it's uh, been quite a journey. So I wanted to start off today's episode with just a little back history of my story 
as a young kid. And interestingly enough, um, you know, my blood sugar obsession or mild obsession now, I think really stems from my childhood. And that is because I was a competitive gymnast training upwards of 20 hours a week at the gym from age seven all the way through college, my undergraduate. So four years in college and then all the way through my, you know, school girl days. Um, I had such a passion for my gymnastics performance and career all through those years. Um, the output was really high. And obviously, as you can imagine, and many of you are also probably athletes listening, when we're pushing ourselves in a way that requires high amounts of energy and output, you know, it really exacerbates any imbalances in our metabolic profile. So that said, I was also an undiagnosed hypoglycemic. And what that means is that my blood sugar was riding low all the time and it would dip down too low if I wasn't careful. And I wasn't careful. In fact, in the 1980s, the diet that most people ate was the exact opposite of what my body needed. So for example, I was reflecting back um, earlier this week with some of my childhood habits. And what I remember really, really well was the breakfast table. And what would happen is we would sit down at the breakfast table, usually as a family, I had two younger siblings, um, both parents, and we would have toast on the table. We would have cereal, a few different kinds of cereal to choose from, um, milk to put on the cereal. And then we would also have uh, various toppings for the toast. So literally cheese whiz, which I did find in my parents' pantry just a couple of years ago. In fact, I made my father pose with a jar of cheese whiz because he literally at age 83 still eats cheese whiz um, on his toast. We also had Smucker's strawberry jam and we also had Skippy peanut butter. And then we also had like often a pitcher or a carton of orange juice because in those days you know orange juice was the most effective way to get vitamin c in your system as the story goes i mean that is not the case and we know that now but at the time we were drinking a lot of orange juice as well just for the vitamin c content um, i used to strain my orange juice with a little orange strainer that my mom uh, bought at a Tupperware party. This is all dating me so much. And I would strain the pulp out of my orange juice because I didn't like the texture. Um, so I was pretty much starting off the day with like many different carbs, bread, cereal, all the sugar that was in the cereal, all the sugar that was in those toppings on the toast. And then of course, this you know very sweet high glycemic glass of orange juice. So lo and behold, you can see how I was set up to fail <laughs> with blood sugar success throughout the day. And with all of those carbs for breakfast, what would happen and what happens to all of us is our blood sugar spikes and we feel kind of high. And then our blood sugar eventually will crash within an hour or so, maybe two hours, depending on your metabolic type. And I would feel incredibly hungry. Some people, when they have a blood sugar crash, they may feel tired or they may feel grumpy. They may break into a cold sweat. 
Um, some people get headaches. For me as a kid, I was always, always hungry. Insatiable is the word that I I want to use. And it's funny that here we are on the Satiate podcast. It's probably why I named it that because I was never satiated as a kid. I was extremely underweight to the point where I was going to the doctor to get weighed because they were concerned about my weight. And I was eating as I was eating like everything I could get my hands on. Um, my family had a joke about it saying I was always hungry. And I have this memory of going to family barbecues and picnics and things. And I would go to the chip and dip table because I was hungry before dinner. And I would eat chips and French onion dip, those ruffle potato chips and French onion dip. And eventually my father would look over and see me mildly binging on chips and dip and come over and tell me that I was going to spoil my dinner and that I needed to stop, to stop eating those snacks. So, you know, I was set up with this very interesting metabolism from the beginning, and then I was doing all the wrong things in the 1980s with the fat-free movement and Special K being known as a a diet food, uh, which was a high-carb cereal. So, you know, it's been interesting to navigate. Um, As a gymnast, I was taught to eat healthy. And in those days, we would have these little powwow meetings with our coaches, and they would tell us to avoid um, soda and kind of like, you know, potato chips and junk food and fast food. So they were on to it, but they weren't quite hitting the mark as far as the whole picture. And so I had always been interested in, in health, and by the time I got to Boulder, Colorado, um, I was really into vegetarian eating and I was always into promoting more vegetables and plants and, but I was also still really depleted and, and it wasn't until I was pregnant with my oldest son, who's now 24, that I started to notice like an even more significant, uh, deficiency. Um, so I was craving like so much yogurt all through my pregnancy and so much milk, which I'd never really drank a lot of, um, by the cup, but I was so protein and fat deficient that my body was craving all these weird foods, especially being a vegetarian and not really knowing how to be a healthy vegetarian or a balanced vegetarian. So I started to like learn about my body And I started seeing a naturopathic doctor and she explained to me a lot around blood sugar and how I was um, in this depleted state, which was impacting pretty much every area of my life. I was starting to feel like I couldn't function in my life. I couldn't do my job, take care of my new child and be busy without like just kind of feeling like I didn't have the bandwidth or the emotional resiliency to handle things. That's what I went to see her about. So she put me on a protein at every meal diet and it literally changed everything. Within a couple of weeks, I felt like a different person. And that's really what led me to my my passion and my business and my training in nutritional therapy, functional nutrition, and food psychology. So for the last 18 years, I have been so focused on blood sugar health for myself and for my clients. I've been immersed in metabolic 
health and how to really feed our metabolism so that they are operating at their best. And I've learned a lot of the caveats around blood sugar. Um, and I wanted to share some of them with you today, but I also wanted to share that with my continual glucose monitor, I've been able to really validate what is actually going on in my body and in my blood sugar and how those sort of subtle feelings and senses I have in my body are actually trying to tell me something. So it's interesting when we start to see the numbers. And so I've been fairly addicted to checking my numbers with different meals and it's been so insightful. So the first thing I learned, I'm gonna give you like five caveats that I've been really, that have been really hitting home for me over the past couple of weeks. So if you look at my blood sugar chart, which I will put a, an example in the, uh, you know, on the website so that you can see, is I am riding at the very low end of the spectrum. So if we were looking at a optimal range of say 70 to about 120 for non-diabetics, I'm, I'm like hovering barely into the 70s and, and dipping down into the 60s and even down into the mid 50s a couple times. So I have a lot of red right on the edge, like a lot of red lines where the line turns red when you're not in your optimal range. I have a lot of those red lines happening and it's low, whereas some people tend to be high and they may have the opposite problem. So I did affirm that I'm absolutely an extreme hypoglycemic. And within that, I've been able to see what can really work for keeping my levels in balance, not just with how I feel, but also with looking at the tracking. So I just wanted to tell you that what I've noticed, so this big caveat, the second one I wanna share with you is that if I eat a substantial amount of fat and protein with each meal, and I choose my carbs carefully, so I'm choosing low glycemic carbohydrates, I'll get more into that in a little bit, then my blood sugar stays pretty, pretty good. So I usually start off the day with a cup of bulletproof coffee. So what that means is I put MCT oil, which is a form of coconut oil, medium chain triglyceride oil from coconut into my coffee. That adds some fat, and then I put a little bit of honey, like maybe a quarter teaspoon, and then I also put collagen protein. And I just stir it all up, and it tastes delicious. And I'll have one or two cups of that. And that actually really does well on my blood sugar. Then I usually have a smoothie. And my smoothie has protein, fat, I put more MCT oil or coconut oil, or sometimes nut butter, avocado. I also put a little bit of fruit, but I've been mostly sticking with the berries since they're low in sugar. So I'll put some strawberries or some blueberries, but I'm talking less than a half a cup, sometimes a quarter cup. So like four strawberries is kind of my go-to. And then I'll put some nut milk, making sure it's unsweetened. I'll put some greens. And sometimes I put some superfoods, like yesterday I put turmeric golden milk powder in, my, in the blender to kind of give me a little turmeric and a little ginger. So that's working really well for my blood sugar. The other day we went up to the mountains and I was making a very quick smoothie because we were trying to get up early and head out. 
And I was going to drink my smoothie in the car. So I made the smoothie and I didn't realize this till later. I had forgotten to put the protein powder in. I put it on the counter and then I didn't put it into the blender. But I made the smoothie and it tasted good and I drank it all the way up to our cabin where we were doing a bit of work and remodeling. And we got there, it's about an hour and a half drive. And about 20 or 30 minutes after we got there, I started to get lightheaded, dizzy. I broke into a cold sweat and I was so shocked because I don't really go there very often. So I had let my blood sugar crash without realizing it because I forgot the protein powder in my smoothie. And so I quickly wanted to fix that. And I, the quickest way for me to fix that is with some food. So I luckily had some macadamia nuts. I had a bar. I had some yogurt. Um, and I was able to bring it back up. But it was a little frantic. So when we get into that blood sugar crash, I checked my blood sugar. It was 63, super low. When we get into that zone, you know, we go into a survival fight or flight response and the goal is to get the blood sugar back up as fast as possible. That's kind of the goal of our survival. If we stay low for too long, we could go into a coma. Um, I don't think I was near going into a coma by any means, but this is kind of what our, you know, primal brain is telling us. So anyways, I was able to recover, but it was definitely interesting that I was tracking my blood sugar. So with that said, there was another really interesting thing that I noticed, and that is the third piece I want to share with you today. And that is the impact that exercise has been having on my blood sugar. So most days I walk my dog for about an hour in the mornings. And that usually happens between the coffee and the smoothie, depending on the time. But usually that works if I can do it fairly early. Then I also will usually choose yoga or some cardio to do later in the day. So I've been testing these things um, and just checking my blood sugar to see what happens. So for example, I started off one day last week at about 80 or 85 with my smoothie and I was feeling good. And then I went down into our basement where we have, where I have a spin bike that I bought during the pandemic, like many of us. And I did a 30 minute spin ride and I came back up, checked my blood sugar. It was down below the range again. So it had gone down like almost 20 points in a 30 minute cardio session. I've also tested it with yoga and with walking. The walking is pretty consistent, leaving it just pretty even keeled as long as I just go for, you know, a fairly normal walk. If I was doing a steep incline, it would probably be higher. I usually do more of those steep hikes on the weekends. Um, and then I've tested it in yoga classes. Now, I haven't been to very many indoor classes yet, so I haven't had, and I don't really like a lot of heat in my yoga classes, but I, I did go to some, you know, rigorous yoga, and I've been doing a lot of rigorous yoga on my back deck, and yeah, so that's just dropping maybe five to seven points with the blood sugar monitor. Um, so it's good to know that when we eat something that might throw our sugars up too high or we eat something kind of a little more high glycemic or higher in carbs than usual, then we can actually amend it with exercise, especially cardio. And I'm going to talk to you all about some things that you can do shortly. Um, I've also noticed 
the impacts of stress and sleeplessness or restlessness at night where I don't get a good night's sleep. And I've noticed that it really changes my cravings. And so that's another thing I wanted to share with you is that if you're going through a stressful time or you're simply having a rough patch with sleep, you may notice yourself craving. And, you know, it's hormonal. When we don't sleep as well, we literally trip up our hunger and fullness hormones and it impacts the foods that we crave. So that's been interesting as well. And then lastly, the fifth thing I noticed is that when I eat for my metabolic profile, which I've been doing for the last 15 years pretty consistently, it works perfect. The days that I'm completely on track with what I normally eat and what I plan on eating and choosing high protein and high fat and low in sugar and low in carbs, not zero carbs at all, but just lower than what most people might imagine, um, I feel better than ever. And I track my blood sugar and it is absolutely on point. So the next part of what I wanna talk to you about is what you can do and why. And understanding the science and the biochemistry that's driving your behavior, let me say that again, understanding the biochemistry that's driving your behavior makes a huge difference. So often we're thinking that our behavior is happening because of a thought or a habit. And in some cases it is, but also when our biochemistry is out of whack, when our blood sugar is off, there's a whole array of things that happen and we can amend them by staying in balance. So here are my five things that you can do and why moving forward with your blood sugar and your metabolic health, keeping in mind that we're all different and that we're all gonna have some nuances within our systems, of course, yet we are also all very similar. So what I'm gonna talk to you about here are the universals that we can all work together on. Okay, so before we get started, I just wanna give you a couple of blood sugar principles that you can use to kind of navigate these next what to do's and why. And that is that your blood sugar is responding to anything that turns to sugar. So the good carbs and the bad carbs all turn to sugar. The strawberries turn to sugar, potatoes turn to sugar, bananas turn to sugar, and so does Fruit Loops, right? So does Snickers bar, so does a soda. And what we're looking at is how quickly a food turns to sugar. So foods that turn to sugar more slowly, such as a blueberry, are going to give your body an ample kind of gentle slope and your blood sugar a gentle slope into a good healthy range. Whereas something that's really high glycemic or high in sugar is going to turn to sugar quicker, like white sugar or refined carbohydrates. And they are, it is going to then give you a very drastic steep spike. And what I can definitely affirm to all of you is every spike is followed by a crash whether it's a little tiny gentle 
elevation or a big steep spike, the drop is going to mirror the, the, initial, the initial climb of your blood sugar. So if you have something very sugary, you're gonna have a very big spike and a very big crash. If you have something maybe low in sugar or low in carbs is a better way to say it, like a blueberry, then you're gonna have a gentle climb and a gentle descent. That's what we want, because then we stay in range. So the very first thing that you can do is to drop those really high sugar foods and those very highly processed carbs and replace them with carbs that turn to sugar more slowly. So some of those examples would be low glycemic fruit like berries, apples, plums, peaches, a lot of the more local fruits. Some of the really highly tropical fruits turn to sugar much more quickly like bananas. Um, so I try to use those very rarely. I'm very sensitive. Some of you may not be as sensitive as I am, but if I eat a whole banana, I really notice a pretty big spike. And you can also substitute your flours. So if you're used to using white flour or whole wheat flour, you wanna see if you can switch those out to maybe um, something that has more fiber, something that has maybe more protein, and that could be maybe a paleo version with almond flour, or coconut flour, or something that is made with a denser grain that's gonna bring down the glycemic index and lower that spike. Okay, so the sugar and the processed carbs, if you eat them consistently, they raise your base levels of insulin. And when you have higher levels of insulin in your blood and in your body, you are gonna notice a whole bunch of things happen. So this is the why. Why do you care? Why do you wanna lower your blood sugar? Why do you wanna choose these lower glycemic um, carbs? And that is because if you stay in an elevated insulin level, the cascade starts to impact your health and your metabolic health especially. You'll notice more inflammation. You'll notice um, that you are craving more. You'll notice that you have lower energy. You'll notice that you have brain fog and you can't focus very well and your memory is worse. You'll notice that you have maybe achier joints. You'll also notice some digestive stuff that can happen when we feed our microbiome with too much sugary food. It literally promotes a bacterial overgrowth. You'll notice that you might exacerbate moodiness, PMS type symptoms, um, and even anxiety. All of those brain chemicals, serotonin, GABA, and all the things that keep us in a happy place are dopamine as well. If we are using a lot of high carb and high sugar foods, that really impacts um, our brain chemistry and can create similarly uh, spike and crash. So you might feel really good when your blood sugar spiking and your serotonin then spikes and you feel kind of high and then your blood sugar crashes and so does your serotonin and you feel like you are kind of getting off of cocaine. So we don't want that. So let's focus on low glycemic carbohydrates, whole foods, avoiding processed carbs, replacing ingredients so you can switch out your sweeteners. If you want to go 
really low on the spectrum with sugars. You can use something like monk fruit or stevia. If you wanna go kind of moderate, you could use coconut sugar or maple or raw honey. And if you combine it well, you will then, if you have your proteins and your fats there, you're gonna notice that your blood sugar stays in balance. So then you'll just start to notice all those other symptoms diminish. So the second one, and this is really interesting to me, the second one that I want you to look at and why is, is really how insulin, when it's elevated, impacts your leptin levels and your dopamine levels. So leptin is the hormone that tells you when you're full. And when you have long periods of time of elevated insulin, you will notice that your leptin levels go down. And what happens when that occurs is that when your leptin is down, your body is, your brain is not telling your body it's satiated. So you have a propensity to overeat. When you do this for a long period of time, you can even develop what's called leptin resistance. And this is when you really don't know when to stop eating and your body isn't communicating with you when you're full. And even after you eat a full meal, you might find yourself grazing in the kitchen or you're take, getting a, night, a bedtime snack even though you've had a full dinner. And often these moments are related to this hormonal imbalance of leptin. The best thing you can do to reverse leptin resistance or low levels of leptin is to lower your insulin levels and bring your blood sugar back into balance. So we judge ourselves, we beat ourselves up, and we critique ourselves all the time for eating too much, feeling out of control, and you know, binge, being, binge eating behaviors can surface, as well as lowering self-esteem when we're kind of shaming ourselves for these behaviors. But in reality, there's not a lot you can do when, you're, when your insulin and your leptin are not functioning well. It's, it's like a, a reaction that almost anyone under the sun would have. But what you can do is substitute out those high sugar, high carb foods and bring down your blood sugar, bring down your insulin levels, and then get your leptin to come back to its natural state telling you when you are satiated. Another thing that happens is that when you have elevated insulin, you also have elevated um, need for dopamine stimulation. So basically your dopamine gets down-regulated and you find yourself wanting pleasure. You find yourself wanting food to you know, make you feel good. It's kind of one of the foundations of emotional eating. And we keep reaching and reaching and reaching for these pleasure-type pleasure foods because the pleasure center, our dopamine receptors, are basically telling us that we need it to feel good. So that can promote a lot of cravings. So when our blood sugar is off, we're craving more sugar, which is not always intuitive. But when your blood sugar is up and down, you're going to notice that your cravings feel out of control, which makes you feel out of control around your eating. The quickest way to you know, bring that back into balance is to once again balance your blood sugar, eat 
the macros, which we'll talk about in a minute, that work for your blood sugar, lower the glycemic index of the carbs you're eating by taking out the high sugar foods and the high processed carb foods that turn to sugar quickly and substitute them with alternate sweeteners and flours um, or whole food based carbs that will keep your blood sugar in that really healthy range. Okay, then we've got, let's see, number three is to manage your macros. So macronutrients in my field are so integral to my work. Not because I want people to become obsessed or track or weigh, but because if you don't know about macronutrients, you may be literally skipping them when you need them and your blood sugar will suffer. So most of the time people are not skipping carbs, uh, but most people, if they're gonna skip something, they would maybe not be getting enough protein or not be getting enough fat. And we do need all three of them, protein, fat, and carbs. So in my work, I test people's metabolic profile and that gives me and them the ideal ratios of those three macronutrients. And then we talk about vegetables and how we can include more of them, the water-based vegetable vegetables in our meals as well. So we've basically got four different components. We've got those non-starchy vegetables in high amounts. We've got high quality fat. We've got high quality protein. We've got low glycemic, unprocessed or unrefined carbohydrates. And when we have those in balance, we're going to notice our blood sugar stable. We're going to feel more satiated. We're not going to eat as much in between meals, if at all. We're going to have all the benefits of metabolic health working with us. Body composition, sleep, stress management, energy, mood, mental focus. All of these pieces will start to come together and we'll really start to feel like we're gaining self-control but we're gaining self-control because we're going back to that biochemistry driving our behavior. Okay, so a couple things. You can start with this formula if you want. If you don't know those ratios that are specific to your metabolic profile, you can start with these sort of guidelines. And this actually came out of research through um, Harvard Medical School and I did a bunch of writing about their program for an article I did a while back, and it was really insightful. So they call it the healthy plate, and what it is, it actually works really well for a lot of people, and even if it's not your metabolic profile, it's probably closer to what is if you've never thought about metabolic health before. So what it looks like is 25% of your plate is protein plus fat, 25% is carbs, and those are the good carbs, the fruits, the whole grains, and the starchy vegetables like sweet potato or roasted beets or roasted, let's say, rutabaga. Then the like 50% of your plate is all those non-starchy vegetables, the leafy greens, the broccoli, the asparagus, the brassica family is so healthy, the peppers, the mushrooms, all of those can make up the 50% of your plate. And if you start to work with that, you can fine tune 
how to then get it to the right exact kind of proportions and ratios for you. You may need less carb, more protein, more fat, a little higher carb, it's hard to say, but most of us can do okay right around that 25% protein plus fat, 25% whole carbs, and then the rest of your plate, vegetables, non-starchy vegetables. So if you're interested in getting a specific metabolic health profile for your ratios, then of course reach out and you can find out all about me at bouldernutrition.com. So when you balance your macros, your blood sugar is stable, and we get ourselves into that really healthy range, which then cascades with all those different impacts that I mentioned. There's a few things you can do. I've kind of sprinkled them in here. Number four is some of the ways you can bring down your blood sugar. If you feel like either you ate a little bit out of ratio or, you know, you're feeling like you, you know, ate something a little too high in carbs or sugar and you're off that day or you gave into a craving because you're still learning and you want to figure out how to amend your blood sugar. There's five things you can do that are the kind of the top five heavy hitters. Interestingly enough, the very first one is drink water because the water will dilute your blood and your cells so that there's less of a sugar impact directly happening. So if you feel like, oh, I just you know ate some dessert at my friend's birthday party and I wasn't planning on it, you know, go ahead and drink a big glass of water and that will help a lot. If you're eating on the lower carb side of things, you may want to really emphasize electrolytes in your diet because they will bring back some of the good salts and those great electrolytes that you need to feel energized and strong and clear. Okay, the next one is fiber. So when I tell you this, I think you'll probably feel like you already know this. Maybe you've heard it or you've experienced it or you've heard it in a different way. But when you have more fiber in your diet or in your meal, the fiber lowers the blood sugar response. So if you were to eat white rice, which I actually did eat some white rice um, last week in the form of a sushi roll, and it wasn't in my ratios, and it really did spike my blood sugar. I, I tracked it, and I was like, wow, I can't believe like that you know, spiked with just that little bit of white rice, but it really did. Um, when you have brown rice, for example, it's got more fiber, so you're gonna lower the impact of the carb on your blood sugar. So fiber helps a lot whenever you can choose something with higher fiber or a flour with higher fiber um, or a meal with higher fiber, you're gonna notice that kind of blunts the blood sugar response right there. The next thing is protein. Um, you know, there's lots of ways to get protein. As I said, I put protein powder often in my smoothies. Sometimes I eat cottage cheese or sometimes I eat organic chicken or sometimes I eat lentils. But regardless, making sure that you get protein at every meal is incredibly helpful. Your body does not know what you're gonna have for dinner at two o'clock in the afternoon, so thinking you're gonna protein load at the end of the day doesn't help your blood sugar all throughout the day. But when you get protein at every meal, your blood sugar response will be so much better. And we could see it in the example I gave where I forgot the protein powder. It was an absolute blood sugar catastrophe. 
And I really did not feel okay for a little bit there. I was definitely frantic and definitely like, you know, not able to think about anything else except for food because I was bonking. And then fat. Now fat is one macronutrient that gets kind of a bad rap, especially if you were born in the 70s or kind of lived through the fat-free movement like I did in the 80s. Um, you know, where fat became a food that made us fat in the, in the marketing. And I just want to say that that is absolutely not true. Fat also blunts your blood sugar response, and it also keeps you satiated for longer. And it also promotes fat burning. So when you eat fat, you actually burn fat. In fact, you can't burn fat without enough dietary fat in your diet. And it really helps your system to keep in that healthy range of blood sugar. And that's really what keto is based on, as many of you know. So when your body is using fat for fuel instead of glucose, then you even can have some different and very helpful long-term benefits if you have the right metabolic profile for somebody who wants to do keto, which does require a higher amount of fat. And then lastly, as I mentioned, exercise. So if you've had a heavy carb meal and you're feeling like, whoa, I wasn't, you know, planning that or I didn't know what we were having for dinner at the at the dinner party and I had this big plate of pasta and bread and now I'm in a glass of wine and all these carbs and now I'm way off track, it's going to do you immense good to go for an after dinner walk or you know, to move your body, to have a dance party, have, you know, do some yoga, whatever it is that you can do. So sometimes, you know, an after dinner walk is the answer to lowering your blood sugar response. And that will help to uptake the glucose and lower the actual reading of your blood sugar and help you to avoid those really big spikes and crashes. Okay, and the last one, number five, is really the end goal for me and for what I really think a lot of us are striving for, and that is body sense. So body sense is being able to read the sensations of your body to feel embodied with what's going on, to feel the sensations, and then to be able to act accordingly. So, so many of my clients tell me they can't distinguish hunger and or fullness. Um, and sometimes we have an interoceptive issue where we've kind of shut down our hunger and fullness cues. But also oftentimes we're scared to trust our bodies because we have been so out of balance that we are constantly being guided by cravings and by these blood sugar ups and downs and we feel like we don't have any self-control around our eating and that can lead to a, a sort of sense of not trusting the intelligence of our body. And I get that. And quite honestly, when you're way out of balance, trusting, you know, the, the cues might be ineffective. You might actually eat more carbs than you need because you're in the midst of a blood sugar spike and crash. But when you're in balance, when you're in balance biochemically, blood sugar-wise, insulin-wise, and you're in a healthy range, you can start to trust your hunger and fullness cues. And you won't be finding yourself making those late-night trips to the kitchen because you will have had a satiating meal 
you won't find yourself grazing as much throughout the day because you had a satiating lunch and breakfast. And your hunger and, and, and satiation can become very reliable when you're in range. And once you start to get your leptin on board and your dopamine working with you, like I mentioned, all of these different hormones and different sensations start to work together like a symphony. And within that is the true wisdom of your body, the true intelligence of your body, where you can listen and you can begin to build trust. Um, If you've come from like disordered eating, you've probably binged on things like sugar and carbs. That's the most common. I haven't met anyone in my 18 years of practice who binged on like wild salmon or some kind of high protein or something like that. It's always either like, you know, salty carbs like potato chips or, you know, different kinds of cakes or cookies or pizza, which has also got that, you know, carby crust, things like that. So when you bring yourself back into balance, you'll notice that you have this opportunity to repair the trust you have with your body and trust the intelligence of your body use the body sense to navigate hunger and fullness that just gentle hunger that comes on slowly where we're not in a panic and that satiation where we sit back at the dinner table we sigh and we know we're done we're not tempted to overeat we're not tempted to keep eating when our body is telling us that we so let's just take a quick review because i know we've covered so much today but i just couldn't help it after learning and affirming and validating some of the work that I do with my continuous glucose monitor and Levels Health has been amazing and I'm just so excited to be able to share this with you. Okay, so here's your five to-dos. Replace the high sugar and processed carbs with either whole foods and in some cases higher quality, you know, sweeteners like such as monk fruit, stevia, coconut sugar, that kind of thing. So try to focus on, you know, whole carbs such as starchy vegetables, um, whole grains, and low glycemic fruits. Then take note, number two, was take note of your leptin and dopamine response to insulin. Do you feel like you're never able to get satiated? Do you feel like you're always reaching for food to give you pleasure? If that's the case, most likely there is an insulin factor in there that you want to consider. When you bring your insulin down, you're going to feel those different components regulate. Number three, manage your macronutrients, protein, fat, and carbs. And eat a lot of vegetables. Eat a lot of non-starchy vegetables as well. Learn those five different ways that you can lower your glucose or lower your blood sugar if you overeat something by accident, such as water. You can use water to lower it, fiber, protein, fat, and exercise. And then lastly, work on repairing your body sense, teaching yourself how to listen to hunger and fullness cues, repairing your hunger and fullness cues, 
learning that when you're in balance, you can trust the intelligence of your body and you can experience the joy of eating with lots of freedom around your food with intelligence and with satiation and with creativity and artistry and joy and pleasure because that's what we're here to do with food. We're here to nourish ourselves, but not just physically. We're here to enjoy each other's company. We're here to get creative in the kitchen. We're here to savor the various flavors in our meals and make food and eating something that we look forward to in a healthy and pleasurable and sustainable way. So I hope that today's episode was um, helpful. And I know we covered a lot. So if you have questions or comments or you want to reach out for support, you can find me at bouldernutrition.com or you can email me at sue at bouldernutrition.com. And I can't wait to chat with you. Thank you so much for joining me for today's episode of Satiate. Sending you my wholehearted wish for your health and happiness. And I will see you back here very soon.